Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in Chicago. My name is Pastor Joel Hess, and it's my privilege to talk about Jesus and the hope and the peace we have in him. Uh, Please enjoy the following message, and if you like, uh, support the mission of God here in this area by going to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Front part of bulletin. Say this with me. St. James, a growing community, alive in Christ, continuing the tradition of serving Chicago with his hope, peace, and love. As I said a couple weeks ago, I know sometimes it seems silly repeating some quick phrase or mission statement like that's going to make all the difference in the world, Pastor. But you be amazed how quickly churches get off track. Last uh, couple weeks, we talked about they get off track as to who they are, but also we get off track so easily as to what in the world we are called to do. You would be amazed how soon a church can go from doing what God has given it to do to becoming just another organization in Chicago helping people, and that's it. The church in Corinth needed a wake-up call like we do. The church in Corinth needed to kind of get its uh, compass reorientated as we do, and Paul does exactly that. In chapter 1, he gets after it right away. And one of the big things Paul needed to do for them is he needed to get the world out of them. He honestly needed to get the world out of them. Because they had come in with the way the world sees things and the way the world works. And I think we all have that same problem. And so the way that they would act in business or in their society, they would bring it into how they would act and behave and how they would see the church. And Paul, quite frankly, needed them to see that God actually does things and sees things opposite the way we do. And it kind of reminds me of uh, uh, when I was a kid, we probably all had this. So you're on the playground, and it's time to pick teams because you're going to play kickball. And uh, so uh, if you were a captain, you got selected to be a captain. I did once in a while. They would allow me to do that, my peers. And you get up there and you select your team. And who would you select? Well, you'd select the largest kid you could, right? Or the, you know, the greatest athlete. You start going right down the numbers. The best and the next guy, he'd select the next best athlete. You wouldn't think twice about it. And then, of course, the last person, which is never me, by the way. Maybe it was <laughs> once in a while. And the last person we picked, and that's how it is. And that's a life lesson. But God picks absolutely opposite. If God were picking a team, he would do the exact opposite. Just like, uh, you know, George Costanza. Remember George Costanza, Seinfeld? And uh, one day he realized that everything, if all my instincts are wrong, (laughs) then the exact opposite are probably correct. And he goes and asks this beautiful woman out for a date, and it all works out. Anyhow, 
the same sort of thing. Like God literally thinks and looks at things quite different than we do. Almost to the opposite. And so when we're picking a team, we pick the best and we pick the strongest. We focus on success. We want to win at all costs. We applaud those who are successful. We inspire, we push our kids to do well in every aspect. We get frustrated when they do not, even when they lose a basketball game. Oh my goodness. On Friday, (laughs) with this team that we have at St. James, which is a fantastic team, and they lost. We applaud strength, numbers, money, etc. You pretend that you don't, but you do. God does the opposite. When God picks a team, he picks not the best. In fact, quite frankly, (laughs) throughout Scripture, God loves to pick the very least. Have you noticed this? Whether it is uh, picking Abraham, this nobody, wandering nomad who's way too old to have kids, and his wife Sarah, he picks them to start a great family, the people of Israel. Uh, Let's see, what else do you have? He picks David, who is the youngest and the scrawniest. He's a little kid. He doesn't belong in war. But David, he's the one. Remember that Samuel goes to Jesse's house, and Jesse starts bringing out his best team, his best boys. And Samuel keeps on saying, nope, nope, nope. And then uh, Jesse says, well, I got my youngest, this little kid. That's the guy. And then, of course, Elizabeth, who's barren, has John the Baptist. That's how God does things. Why? So no one else can boast. So nobody can say... I brought something to the table in this victory of God's so that all glory will go to God. And it's not because he's being a jerk. It's because that's the reality. It doesn't matter in God's eyes how strong or smart or mighty you are. In God's eyes, we are all, every single person, infants at the baptismal font, weak, helpless, valueless sinners whom God loves to help. And it's so important for us to understand that as we see ourselves. The church in Corinth did not get that. They thought they were something else. They thought that we're Christians. We know the God who made everything. We're awesome. Everything's great. Uh, And they would bring in this attitude into the church world. To the point where the the rich and the successful would separate because, you know, obviously they're blessed by God and they would have communion and then the leftovers would go to the poor and the needy. And so Paul says these words to them in chapter 1 of uh, Corinthians. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then he looks at these Corinthians who thought they were something else. He says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Well, that's a real shot in the knee. What is that? You know, you guys aren't very smart, is what Paul's saying. Not even worldly standards. 
Not many were powerful. You weren't some, you know, great uh, big shots in the world. Who do you think you are? And many, not many were of noble birth. You know, you don't have good genetics. You don't have family relations. You're not connected to royalty or a powerful person in town. And then he goes on to this. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him... Paul says. He's looking at those Corinthians. He's looking at you. Because of God. You are in Christ Jesus. He's telling those Corinthians, you are in this situation of having hope and peace all by the work of God. Not by yours. Don't, don't think you brought something to the table or you had some kind of potential and God chose you because he really wanted you on his team. Or needed you. But Paul's saying, God loves you because God loves you. God chose you because he felt like it. And it's not dependent on your value. But on his love and his mercy. Which is actually very comforting if you think about it. God choosing you, including you, bringing you to faith, is not dependent upon your strength as a future disciple. But it's absolutely dependent on his will and his love. Therefore, you actually don't need to be like you are in the world, stressed by performance. When it comes to being a child, a disciple, or a member of St. James. God loves you. Just let him say that to you. It's okay. And it's okay to admit that you're weak. Because the big joke is, what Paul's saying is, none of you, you know, he's kind of pointing out, you guys are a bunch of ding-dongs, basically, that I brought together as a church. He's being pretty literal, too. Well, you, who are you? Why do you suddenly have big heads? But ultimately, we all need to hear that. Because I don't care how powerful you are in the world, how successful you are, or whatever. In the end, we're all weak. Just like the weakest among us. We are as good as the weakest among us as St. James. And humanity is only as good as the most evil of us. What's really, uh, last, last, last week, last Sunday, I left. Um, many of you probably did. We leave church, second service, and I looked my Twitter feed and Kobe Bryant. Anybody remember when you first saw that? It wasn't on the news or anything. It was, just a tw- it was just a tweet. And it just blew my mind. I assumed it wasn't true. And then, uh, you know, you start looking into it. And next thing you know, like more people are saying this. You're like, this can't be true. And indeed it is. And for some reason, the, the Kobe Bryant crash with his daughter and the others just really shocked me. I mean, we shouldn't be shocked. At all. We're all dying and will die. But it just shocked me. And I think it's this. We were talking about in the women's Bible study this Wednesday. I think it's because 
we just actually, even though we shouldn't, even though it's insane, we actually think this. We think that maybe some of us are actually stronger, bigger, mightier than life. <laughs> How could a 41-year-old, so he's fairly healthy, fairly young in our book, in my book, <laughs> Powerful money has all the access to being as safe and healthy as possible. You know what I'm saying? All the technology. He was in the best helicopter. And I think that's what shakes us up. Is that when it just crashes like that? What does it say about you? If he can't survive, who do we supposed to think we are? And the Lord blesses us with these tough instances. And God bless that man. We know he went to church, so I can say that. In the sense, I shouldn't hear that. They heard about Jesus, Kobe did. So we pray to God he's with the Lord. And all those on board. But the reason why we're shooken up by that celebrity is because it makes us see we are really, really actually weak and vulnerable. And our whole world can be lost like that in a second, too, because we actually have no control. And therefore, we go to God and we absolutely depend on Him and His mercy and His forgiveness and His promise of resurrection humbly and thankfully. That's who we are, St. James. I'm not saying we have a big head like those Corinthians. I don't think we're there yet. But there's a power when we all understand, when we work together from a humble point of view. Who am I to be pastor here, quite frankly? Who are we to work together? Who are we to have all these incredible uh, treasures that God has blessed us with, let alone a mission of telling others about Jesus? How beautiful that is. And when we work together, if we work together by a position of, who am I to be on this board or this committee to be helping out? I get to be here. I think that just blesses our whole relationship. May it do that here at St. James as we work together for awesome things in the future. But ultimately, God demonstrates how much he thinks very differently than us with these words. Paul says this, even before he says what I just told you. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God think about it what a ridiculously stupid way to be God than to die for ungrateful sinners like us if you designed a God if man really invented God he doesn't look like this he looks a lot more like Allah he looks a lot more like a God far away who's got a big plan. He's got right and wrong out there, and he judges people by performance. And yet, the God we worship, the true God, died for us. That's a really ridiculous—I don't think we really think about that enough, how insane that message is. It's folly. It's moronic is actually what Paul says in the Greek. It's moronic. And yet that's the power of our salvation. And that's what empowers us to believe that God actually really does love us as his son is on the cross for you and for me and for those crazy Corinthians. Isn't that awesome? 
And that is the message. If you are wondering what is the message of St. James in everything we do, from the school, from the preschool, to the women's Bible study, to Sunday morning, this is it. And if this is not going on, this place is an absolute waste of time. We preach Christ crucified, Paul says. We preach Christ crucified. That is the center of the Christian faith and the Christian message. And it's the most insane thing in the world. God on a cross. But it is that in which we have hope. Even weak and foolish and sinners like us. And it's that message that we are going to preach and teach to every human being in Chicago in one way or the other that's going to give them hope and it's going to give them peace and it's going to give them love, especially those who are tired of being picked last at the end of the line feeling vulnerable and standing at a gravesite or outside begging those are the people God especially loves and quite frankly that person is you In Jesus' name, amen.